God One Ministries would like to humbly thank our gracious supporter, Heritage Roofing Incorporated, for today's show, and also for being our partner in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Welcome to the Apostles' Call. We're coming to you today from Ephesians 4. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Friends, family, and partners, join us now as we journey into the Word of God. Praise God to our listeners out there. This is Apostle R.C. Coyle of the Apostles' Call. Thrilled to be here today with my co-host, Pastor Rufus Burton from the First Presbyterian Church in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Apostle R.C., it's great to be with you today. Pastor Rufus, before you start your arduous journey of carrying me in the show today, I think it's appropriate we start with a dedication. And I'd like to dedicate this show to Country Roads Tire and Auto. They've added another location in Hedgesville, and Country Roads has been a sponsor of our park event for the past year. They give the cars away at our different events. They gave a car away at our Declaration of Dependence Convention. So I wanted to dedicate this show today to Brian, to his dad, to all the people at Country Roads, and all the valuable work they're doing in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community. They're great people doing a great service, and the, the Lord is blessing them. Yes, thank God for their new location. Anybody that wants to contact them, they're in Martinsburg at the old Berkeley Plaza, and then also in the old fire station in Hedgesville. Now, for the most important word of the day, we're God's word. Apostle R.C., we found ourselves this morning in the first chapter of the epistle of James. Uh, James is uh, the earthly brother of Jesus, uh, kind of Jesus' younger brother. Um, one of the sons of Mary and Joseph. And what James displays in this letter is a vast knowledge of the wisdom tradition of the Old Testament. So it's very obvious that the Holy Spirit's using someone who had a deep family piety, a deep understanding of the Old Testament, and came to have a, a true understanding of the ministry of Jesus as his Savior, as the Messiah. And so James provides one of those important links between the New Testament and the Old Testament and the way or the, what it looks like to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so he describes that in this letter. So from James chapter 1, beginning at the 19th verse, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is God's holy and an errant word. Pastor Rufus, 
I have to be candid with you. I have a couple favorite books of the Bible. In the New Testament, I love Paul's work in Romans. And obviously, we all just immerse ourselves in the Gospels. And it's not just because my middle name is James, and my father's name was James, but I love the book of James. And I think one of the reasons I love the book of James is because in some ways, I identify myself with him. I am amazed that when he starts this book, he says, I, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. And then he refers to Jesus as his Lord. And I think about the humility that James portrays when he starts this book. This is his brother. I mean, he grew up with him. They grew up playing in the, in the schoolyard. They grew up playing in the countryside. And there was a time, not so many years before this, that James was standing outside the temple with his mother and the rest of the family looking to take Jesus out of there because they were portraying him as being crazy. So obviously, James had some sort of a total transformation in the time period between being at the temple and writing this book. And I think the book of James and some of the great wisdom that James portrays throughout this book really is indicative of the journey that he was on from the time that he saw Jesus just as his brother, just as a man, a human being, and really realizing that Jesus was God. Oh, I think that's right. And you see that throughout the letter because James is very concerned with how to live the Christian life. I mean, it's a strikingly relevant book because James is really concerned to know what it is to live as a disciple of Jesus in the real world. And this is this is reflected in part of James' concern for his brother. I mean, the concern his mother had. When you hear things like, you know, your, your brother's crazy, I, this is concerning. And so you go, I mean, you attempt to live into those realities to address that, to provide the kind of help that's needed. What James, what Mary, what the rest of the family ultimately realize is that he's the Messiah. He is the Lord. He's the one promised in Isaiah. He's the one who will come and die and rise again. And after seeing this, it clicks. And part of the reason it clicks is because they're so rooted in the biblical tradition. This is part of why James had quite the reputation he did amongst the apostles and in the early church, because here's someone who knows his Bible well and strives to lead others into living the Christian life what it is to be obedient to the Word of God, and what that looks like. And that's, that's some of the power and the striking relevance of, of this epistle and why we continue to learn from it today, because the Holy Spirit, just having inspired this, continues to teach us. I remember in a Bible study I was teaching years ago, there was a guy in the Bible study that was very affluent in the Scriptures. He was a very passionate man about the Bible. And I remember we got to the point in the Bible study where we started covering these scriptures. And when the Lord said through James, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves, this gentleman was so angry that he was ready to leave the Bible study because he, like me, had loved the book of Romans. 
He loved hearing about grace. He loved hearing about faith. He loved hearing about all of the ingredients that go into the dispensation of grace. But when we got to this book where James starts talking about being doers of the word, that, that our works should follow our grace, should follow our faith, he wasn't as quick to get on the bandwagon. He wanted off the bus at that point, actually. But what I had to do over the past, the next matter of weeks and months, was show him that there's a balance, that when we have faith, that when we live this life of grace that Jesus Christ leads us to, that our works and our actions should follow that. That as we follow Jesus, we should then in turn, at some point, begin to walk like Jesus, begin to talk like Jesus, begin to even take on the very countenance of Jesus. And if that doesn't happen, the chances are we're not really even immersing ourselves in the grace that Jesus has to give us. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it's very clear throughout the pages of the New Testament, particularly in Matthew's gospel, you know, I mean, just throughout, that although faith is not of works, faith works. Um, Faith in Jesus Christ absolutely transforms lives. This is the burden of Romans chapter 6. You can't just kind of say, oh, I'm clinging to Jesus, and then throw yourself into sin. It's not anything that anybody who understands the grace of God or who's really experienced the grace of God will do. And that's part of James' burden, is that having claimed Jesus Christ, that, that claim, that grace, the thanksgiving we owe to God for the great redemption he's wrought in our lives, will absolutely transform our lives, and will transform our lives in such a way that we want to live into the revealed will of God. The way James puts it, we'll want to be doers of the Word, just and doers of the Word because we love Jesus Christ, who's teaching us actively to live in this way and not in some other way, but in the way that makes us quick to hear and slow to speak. And James isn't giving us anything new here. He's taking us back to to Proverbs, particularly chapter 10. And in taking us to the wisdom tradition of Israel, he's taking us to the wisdom that guided the life of Christ and the wisdom that he is for his people. So this isn't some kind of religious overlay you know, that gets put as some kind of frosting, if you will, on Christians. You know, we're saved by grace and then kind of dipped in some works and, you know, go on this way. No, 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 no. If we truly love Jesus Christ, that love will absolutely transform our lives, and it will transform our lives in such a way that we can see and know that our lives are being transformed. And one of the ways we know that our lives are being transformed is because we're quick to hear the word, quick to run to our scriptures, quick to run to good biblical preaching, and slow to speak, meaning that when we encounter people and situations, we'll want to know all about it first. We'll, want to, we'll be curious about it, knowing how we can pray and what scriptures might apply to a particular situation before immediately flying off the handle 
right? And just speaking what's first into our mind, you know. Um, you know, I just have to say something. That's a very different thing than having something to say. Pastor Rufus, we have a life study group on Tuesday nights at Beth Haven Baptist Church at 6.30. And we are immersing ourselves in the Bible. And our topic really is spiritual warfare. And we haven't got to any sort of casting out demons yet. We haven't even seen uh, any of Satan's little imps running around. What we've been doing is trying to close the doors within ourselves as Christians so that Satan has no foothold. And I can't help think, as you were speaking a couple minutes ago, we're living in a world in which people are fast, almost abound to wrath, to anger. And then immediately their tongue follows as to where that's exactly the opposite of what James is talking about. It's a bedrock principle, I think a foundational principle within the words that he speaks, that we as Christians learn how to be Christ-like, learn how to walk away from the human spirit and walk into the Spirit of God. And as he's talking there, I like what he says and how he outlines this. And I want to ask you a question in a minute. But as he starts there, he says, let's be swift to hear. As I was teaching the other night, I was thinking about being swift. And I remember the other day when I looked out my window, we have a little apple tree outside of our kitchen window, and I saw a small flock of deer. And I really enjoyed just standing there watching them frolic around the apple tree, watching them nose the apples and take a little bite here and there. But as soon as they caught wind of me, they were swift to bound out of our yard. And it was amazing to watch them, to watch the fluent move of their bodies and how swift they were to go out of sight immediately. And I remember thinking to myself, why can't I be like that when it comes to hearing someone else and what they're attempting to say to me and to the world because they have a need to be heard? And I realize that there's lots of times that I'm not diligent enough, as James is talking here, in hearing what somebody has to say, understanding what somebody has to say, and really interpreting what they mean before I bound to speak to them. And then ultimately, as we all do at times, even be angry over what might have been said. How do we turn this around? And the question I want to ask you too is, what exactly is James saying when he puts those in a specific order? I think, or my, my hunch, is that what's behind James' order is the order that's given these things in the Old Testament. Um, and this, this is the importance of verse 22 in terms of not being deceived, I mean, so that we don't deceive ourselves. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, one of the things that's clear is that Israel is addressed first by God. And so part of being quick to hear is being quick to hear the word of the Lord. And slow to speak, it comes from that. And, you know, when the Lord addresses us, he addresses us seriously. 
and this is part of what Joshua does, this reminds us of the seriousness of what it is to be addressed by the Lord, and that we need to think about our response to God, and certainly slow in our anger towards the Lord, because this doesn't lead to righteousness, this leads to rebellion. And so that pattern of being quick to hear is the pattern of wisely engaging the world, wisely knowing that the second table of the law, right, the fifth, uh, excuse me, yeah, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth commandments are all tied. And part of what is required in the ninth commandment is that ability to hear. And if you aren't quick to hear, if you're slow to it, then you're very quick to rush to judgment, and mean, you know, which means that you're kind of very quick to run afoul of the fifth and sixth commandments just right then, because you know, our snap judgment is to anger. And you see that, I think, in our own day and age in, in terms of the instant communications that we have. Something comes up on your Twitter feed, and you've just absolutely got to respond to that. You've absolutely got to respond to that right now. And right now's emotion generally is furious anger. Well, lots of folks have lots of cause to regret lots of things that they put into their social media feed because it's not really a venue set up where you can be quick to hear and slow to speak. It's absolutely a venue set up to be quick to anger. And so what James is tapping us into is that godly wisdom tradition of realizing that one needs to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And you see that particularly in the life of Jesus, who's always quick to hear who's always probing the lives of those around him, and who is always extremely slow to anger. And that's part of why we um, so appreciate his word in our lives, because we know that the Lord Jesus has heard us. And so when he speaks into our lives, he doesn't speak from a place of anger. He speaks from a place of wisdom and love. And how's that not a behavior that, uh, that we wouldn't want to emulate, particularly as those who claim him as Lord and Messiah? Pastor Rufus, I remember a day and time in my life when I lost my voice. Now, I'm not talking about literally. I'm talking about proverbially. When I was in my sin, unfortunately, I was perceived as a success because I had finances, because I had um, certain worldly accomplishments, I was considered somebody that people would listen to. But because I didn't know and live into the words of God's holy scriptures, I was really a fool. No one should have followed me. No one should have listened to me. No one should have even given me a second thought because the words that I was speaking were words of a fool. By the grace of God, when my life finally hit rock bottom, I lost my voice. I was then perceived as a fool, and no one listened to my words. 
It was one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. Because for a period of time, there was actually uh, years went by before anybody was willing to listen to my voice again. And during those years, I immersed myself in the Word of God. And all of a sudden, my ears opened up and my mouth stopped up. And it was a time period in which some of the greatest wisdom that I could have ever received was able to be poured into my spirit because I was attentive at that point. I knew that all of my life had been built up to a crescendo that was worthless. The works and the actions that I had been a part of and that I had partaken in were now broken. They were left useless at the side of the road. But the blessing was now I could hear. Even though my voice was gone, my ears were unstopped. And as I started listening to the words of God, to the words of Jesus, as I started walking with Jesus hand in hand, I started seeing the value in being swift to hear. And as I listened to the words of God, as I turned through the pages, and I, I looked not only at the words that were on the page, but at the, the spaces in between the lines, and where Jesus was, at every turn, a light to the world. I started seeing how I could somehow be changed, be transformed. Somehow all of these broken parts and pieces that were left at the side of the road called my life could somehow all be swooped up by God and be transformed into something that could be used. And I have to tell you this, I spent years not even trying to talk again, even being concerned about speaking again, that I would speak the words of a fool. But then ultimately I got my voice back. And as I started getting my voice back, all of a sudden I realized there were words now coming out of my mouth that made sense. There were words coming out of my mouth now that were healing words. Now my mouth was speaking life and not death. And the people around me were being blessed, not cursed. But that all came from that period of time in which I had no voice. And I believe that in the world today, that we've got to find a place, we've got to find a prayer closet, we've got to find a safe zone, we've got to find a place in a recliner somewhere within the confines of our world and lay back and start hearing the words God speaks so that when people speak and we're expected to respond and reply back, that we can give them the words of a holy Jesus, the words of the inerrant and infallible word of God instead of giving them the words like I did years ago of a fool. That's a very good point, and it echoes the point that James is making there in verse 21. You know, when he says, therefore, put away all filthiness, the, the image in the Greek is stripping off dirty clothes. It is taking off, um, uh, you know, soiled things and putting on the garment of Christ's righteousness, because part of the, the vermin that lives in the, uh, the garments of the world, if you will, the kind of filthy rags, is rampant wickedness. Right? It just kind of comes when you clothe yourself with the world. But when you take that off, which is James' encouragement, we've, which you've talked about as that um, time when you were made silent, became a fool, and then in very intentionally put away the garments of the world 
to receive then with meekness the implanted word. And that's the important point here, the thing that our, our listeners really should notice, is that the word needs to be implanted, which means that it must be lovingly sown. And some of that's the importance of Bible study. Some of that's the importance of prayer. Some of that is the importance of being present to godly preaching, because that's how the word is implanted and nourished. And when you're new to Jesus Christ, just as with the first seed, you need, need to be incredibly careful about um, you know, the light, the moisture, the ground, keeping it clear from, from clutter, and nurturing that implanted seed to growth. And the way you nurture that is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And it's that implanted word that then saves our souls because the word of the Lord will dwell richly in us. And that's the entire point, I think, to get that word to grow in us. And we've all had that experience of being smacked upside the head by the word of God. And that's great, but it only does us lasting good if we allow that word to dwell richly in us. And the only way it dwells richly in us is if we can find a way to nurture that word in us, to find that recliner, to find that quiet space, to find that place where we're able to actually allow that word to be nurtured and nourished, which may even mean, you know, you've got to put your phone outside your immediate view. You've got to take it off your hip, out of your pocket, and find a way to listen to that still, small voice of God. So if you're out there listening today, find that quiet place. And if your world is rumbling and roaring like a volcano, if the earthquake is coming up from below the ground, we're asking you today, take a time out. Take time away from the thunder and the roar of the world, and all that it has to offer. And if you feel that unction, if you feel the hairs on the back of your neck standing up, because you have a burning desire within your heart to hear, to hear the words that can change your life and transform your destiny, we're asking you today, say, yes, Jesus. I want a new day. I want a new way. I want to stop speaking. I want to stop wrath within my life and within my consciousness, within my family, within my world. I want to give you a chance, Lord. Please come into my heart. I make you my Savior. Make me new. Transform me. Pour the words into me that are the words of life that I may pour into others that my life may change in a way it never could have changed without you. In Jesus' name, amen. In business, you've got enough issues hanging over your head. Worrying about your roof shouldn't be one of them. So Heritage Roofing has you covered. Whether it's putting a new roof on right or properly inspecting and upkeeping your existing one, we know your roof from top to bottom. Did you know one out of three roofs never reached their life expectancy? 
and almost half of all premature roofing failures are due to poor workmanship. That's why periodic inspections and routine maintenance can increase the life of any roof system by up to 50%. We take photos before we start and after we're finished. It's like bringing the roof to you. Heritage also offers complete inspections of our work before, during, and after the project. Even if we didn't put the roof on, we're happy to do your inspection. Our job is to make sure your roof does its job. Heritage roofers, inspectors, and estimators are up to date before we ever go up on your roof. We take classes on the latest safety codes, we earn certifications, we understand the latest technology, and we know whether manufacturer's warranties are available for your roof. Our lead inspector is one of only a few hundred registered roof consultants in the entire country. And our master technicians have been recognized with three national awards. Heritage Roofing is trusted throughout the four-state area for all types of commercial roof installation and repair. From corporate and industrial to government agencies, boards of education, financial institutions, healthcare facilities, places of worship, and more. For prompt, reliable, high-quality repairs, Heritage Roofing has raised the standard. We exceed the commercial service industry standard, and we've earned our reputation as service industry leaders. Your business has to keep its eye on the bottom line. So when it comes to your roof, put us on top of it. Heritage Roofing.